When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, 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 and welcome. This is Talk the Plank. My name is Nathan Hirsch. I'm with Jake Slobodnik. Jake, how's it going? It's going, man. Things are pretty busy this time of year. Normally, people would think this is when things really slow down, but uh, uh, things are really busy picking up in terms of broadcasting-wise on my side. But uh, weather's been good. Bucko baseball's been getting back on track, so... Despite the busyness, we're kind of we're in a, we're in an okay spot. How are things with you? Pretty good, and things have been busy for me as well. I've been working a lot lately, so it feels good to be back on the pod talking some pirates. And I guess I guess we could start with the fact that one week ago today, the Pirates lost a fourteen to four laugher against the San Francisco Giants, and here we are. A week later, and the Pirates are on a five-game winning streak, and life seems to be to be better. I guess it wasn't exactly a week ago, but nonetheless, the Pirates are on a five-game winning streak. They are thirty-one and twenty-seven on the season. Life life is better. It's better. Uh, tied well, not tied for first place anymore, but second place. They're a half game back of the Brewers, who also won today. We're recording this on Sunday, but overall, not too bad. And the Pirates are now fresh off of a sweep against the St. Louis Cardinals at home. You always love to see that. So, Jake, getting into it, uh, what did you see this series? What have you seen this past week? Are the Pirates back? I guess in a way they kind of are. Uh, One thing I noticed is that these guys are back to having fun again. It seems like, you know, throughout the month of May, they just weren't having fun. They were just trying to go out there, do a job. And they, they, I guess, taking it a little too seriously and it kind of bit them in the rear. But lately, at least in these past five games, they look like they're just having fun. Um, Back to what we saw back in April when, you know, they they were kind of, I don't want to say like kids out there on the field, but you could tell that they enjoyed playing the game and, it, it, it obviously winning helps. And I really think getting over the hump of that demolishment uh, out in San Francisco, um, I think that just kind of reignited the confidence in this, in this team. And um, that's what they needed because we were all like skeptical, at least, at least myself, I was skeptical back in May. I'm thinking, all right, this is where we derail. This is where the season just comes to an end. And then, you know, we entered the month of June and they, they look back, they look like they did during that 20 and eight month of April. So um, it's good to see. I think they needed a couple series that, uh, you know, to build their confidence back up, especially in San Francisco. Cause the giants aren't, they're not a struggling team like the Cardinals and our upcoming opponent, the A's and some of the other guys we faced, 
But um, the Giants, I think, were a worthy competitor. and They needed to take that series in order to get back on track, and that's exactly what they did. Um, they got some good pitching that series. They also got some clutch hitting, I will say, uh, some key defensive plays, too, um, from a lot of players. And I think that they, they kind of saw everybody pitching in to get back on track, and uh, that that just got them back in there. You know, that got the smiles back on their faces, and that's what we'd like to see. Um, and I think another thing that really went into this five-game winning streak is we're seeing some of the guys who struggled a lot during the month of May, uh, one being Key Brian Hayes, notably. He's getting back on track. He's heating up at the plate. You like to see it. And you're also seeing some more production from the bottom of the lineup. Really, it's just one through nine. Everybody's pit, uh, pitching in, doing their part. Pitching's doing well. Uh, we saw Rich Hell turn a gem today, and he needed to. And, you know, he, he was the guys were depending on him to do it. And he went out and shoved. Um, really, it's just people doing what they're, what they're called to do. Uh, maybe a little bit of, uh, going above and beyond with it as well. So I, we're just seeing some players having fun doing what they're called out to do and it, it's resulting in wins. That's all. That's what I'm noticing. Yeah. I think the offense is key sandwiched in between two, two to one wins at the beginning and today's uh, win against the Cardinals. The Pirates have scored nine, seven and four runs. And I just think, Four runs is the key. I think it was Alex Stump who tweeted that the Pirates are something like 25 and four when they score at least four runs. And to me, that just says that if this offense can just score four, they're good because the pitching is solid. I really believe that. And that's kind of a surprise for me this season. Obviously, Mitch Keller has emerged as an ace type pitcher. The rest of the rotation, I think, is solid with. Rich Hill um, giving you five, six innings of competent baseball every fifth day. And then between Rowanzi Contreras, Luis Ortiz, and Johan Oviedo, I mean, a little bit inconsistent in times, but you know all three of those guys have great stuff. Um, Unfortunately, Vincent Velasquez is back on the IL. But I, I love the starting pitching and the bullpen. It's just, it's crazy because I think you and I both agreed that going into the season, the bullpen looked like the weakest unit on this team. But through one third of the season here, the Pirates have one of the best bullpens in baseball. And that obviously starts with David Bednar, who, funny enough, only had one save in May, already has three this month in June at the back end there. Colin Holderman is awesome. I love Johan Ramirez. Even the guys that just caught, got called up, Angel Perdomo looked great in the Saturday game. He actually just got called down, but Yeri De Los Santos looked solid in his season debut. He was sent down for Chase DeYoung, which maybe that was because of uh, usage, perhaps. They wanted to get the fresher arm in DeYoung, but overall, I just... I love the bullpen. I love the starting pitching. And if the hitting can just be decent, then I think this team's going to win some games. Oh, yeah. And the hitting especially. I mean, we saw today. It wasn't like the Pirates went out and they were blasting four home runs from, you know, the heart of their order. It was guys like Austin Hedges who had a surprising two for three day at the plate with a double uh, pitching in there. No strikeouts as well. The Pirates hitters only struck out five times in the game. And I think. I think that stands out to me a lot, especially against Miles Michaelis, who, let's be honest, he's not great, but he is a pretty decent arm. And for us to only strike out five times against him shows we were disciplined. 
And I say we as if I'm part of the team, but it just shows that they were disciplined. They were looking to make contact, and that's, that's exactly what we did. Along with Hedges, I mean, Hayes had a three for four day at the plate. Jiwan Bay, he drove in the two runs of the game that mattered the most. And Bay did that from either the sixth or seventh spot in line, I think the sixth. So, you know, the Pirates aren't relying on their one, two, or one through four guys to get every run in the game. They're getting some much needed help, and that's great. And going back to your part about the bullpen, I believe I believed solely at the beginning of the year that the Pirates had maybe like a mid rotation, yeah, or mid bullpen. Um, I'm not, you know, I didn't think they were going to be bottom dwellers. I didn't think they were going to be the best bullpen in the league. But to see guys, especially Johan Ramirez, who, you know, last year we knew he would be okay. Like maybe he can go up in a mop up role sometimes, but never a high leverage guy. But he's really he's he's cemented himself into a high leverage guy. He's trusting his breaking stuff more. He's just going right after hitters. He's doing great. He's doing what he's asked of him. And I think, I think this is what Charrington saw in Johan whenever he traded for him for cash last year, which that's a good deal right there. I mean, we only traded him. uh, We got him for cash. Um, And I mean, come on, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Dari Moreta. I mean, he's been an absolute spark plug to this bullpen. And we talk about high leverage scenarios you could talk about the way Ramirez has come into the game and been locked down. You talk about David Bednar closing the door in the ninth. Colin Holderman, most of the time in the eighth inning, been being great. But none of those would happen if it wasn't for Dari Moreta coming in. You know, a lot. If you look at his game logs, more or less, you'll see one third of an inning, two thirds of an inning pitched. But when he comes in, he'll lock down a strikeout. He'll stop a rally by the opposing team, and he's been a great complement to whoever is starting that day. If they go five, six innings, he'll come in. If the starter starts to struggle and he just shoves, it's, it's amazing to see honestly. And here's just a little anecdote on that. I personally thought Moreta was going to be a bit of an issue because after opening day, doing that money symbol, I thought he was going to have a bad fall from fall from grace because he seemed like a cocky player. But at this point in the season, he looks like, you know, he, (laughs) he knows what he's talking about when he flashes that money sign, he is just cashing in every time he goes on the mound and it's great to see, and it sets up a nice bridge for guys like Bednar. And the best part about this, Moreta, I think, has pitched maybe the last three days or so, or three of the last four. But you would think that coming into today's game, the Pirates would only have two options to pitch, and that's Rich Hill, who started, and Chase DeYoung, who just got called up, as you said, because of taxing. But no, Moreta, Ramirez, and Bednar come in. You know they're probably tired, but yet they're feeding off adrenaline enough and knowing that the Pirates are in a pretty good situation that – they're going to come in and just absolutely shove. So I'm just amazed. And, you know, and I think we also credit the other guys like Jose Hernandez, who, yeah. you know, he, he doesn't come in all the time and he won't come in in the most high leverage spots, but he'll get you maybe an inning or two if you need it. Angel Perdomo looked strong yesterday. And, you know, as you said, we're recording on a Sunday. I'm going to say yesterday, I mean Saturday. He looked great. And I he was one of the worry spots for me. I thought when he got called up, he was going to get torched, but he didn't, at least in his first start. And Yeri, I mean, the guy struggled heavily off injury last year, and here he comes yesterday, did a pretty good job in the game and just like trying to bridge the gap until the later innings. So when you can pick out a good quality by any of these relievers, you know you have a solid bullpen. I'm not going to say that it's the best in the MLB because it's not, but we do have a pretty good a pretty good chunk of relievers here, and it's great to see. But again, it's all facets of the game. You have a great starting rotation that can get you a couple innings. Um you know, whenever Mitch Keller goes out every fifth day and knows, and you know, he's going to get you probably to the sixth, probably even the seventh too. That's a good spell as well. 
And even the guys who are struggling like Oviedo, Ortiz, or Contreras, they're inconsistent, but there's, they still bring good traits to the game. It, it's the culmination of all three of those factors that make up for a good team like this. And, I, you know, it's easy to get ahead of yourself and say, oh, well, they're beating up on very bad teams like the Cardinals who are in a cold patch right now or the, the upcoming A's who are just tanking it to get to Vegas. It's easy to say that, but... You know, it, not every game's guaranteed. The Cardinals could have came out and absolutely wa- washed us away this weekend. Yeah, the Cardinals are still the Cardinals. Right, but they didn't. We we locked it down, and that's exactly what we saw. We saw a three-game sweep go in favor of the Pirates because they didn't lose focus. That, that's just what builds a winning culture. Yeah, and I should mention that uh, the bullpen does look a tad different today than it did earlier this week. Dwayne Underwood Jr., my guy, was DFA'd but he cleared waivers and he is now in AAA. Cody Bolton was sent down to AAA. He was up for a little bit this week. And Robert Stevenson, who one of those guys with a lively arm, and we'll see how this trade works out. He was sent to the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for, let's see here, the shortstop in AA, Alika Williams. So I guess Williams was the first round pick for the Rays in 2020, and it really hasn't worked out. That kind of makes me nervous that the Rays are kind of unloading. Maybe, maybe not a high, like a highly touted prospect, but he was a first round pick and the Rays are already kind of giving up on him for someone like Stevenson, but we'll see how that works out. Stevenson, I'm sure with the Rays will be effective, but that's that's a minor deal in my opinion but yeah i mean you look at the top six in this bullpen bednar money man Moreta, colin holderman jose hernandez johan ramirez that that's five right there of just filth and then perdomo look good your guy rob zastrinsky is back um so we'll see what happens chase de young is back as well i like the bullpen all right moving on a little bit here the meat and potatoes of this podcast, we each prepared five questions blindly for each other. It's back, 10 blind questions. We've done this a few times before, and we figure right now at the one-third mark through the season, this would be a good time to break it out again. So, Jake, I'll let you start with your first question for me. Once again, Jake and I do not know what questions we've asked each other. And uh, we're just going to talk it out here. So, Jake, what do you got for me? All right. So we'll start with the uh, topic of the bullpen since we just talked about it. And I think I kind of know what your answer is going to be. But I got to ask you, on on a normal grading scale, F all the way to A+, how would you grade the Pirates bullpen at this very moment? I would give them a solid A for sure. Um, I Like we mentioned, I think that this – this is a this is the strong point of the team. This is with Bednar in the back, with Holderman in the back, with Moreta, Hernandez, guys that can get out of jams. The emergence of Johan Ramirez, I think, has been huge. Um, and I mean, I think, like I said, this was looked at as perhaps a a weakness of of this team, but it's now a strong point. So I think. This bullpen is a, a flat A, not an A plus because they're not they haven't been perfect, but whenever taking in consideration expectations and performance up to this point, I think 
I think an A is suitable. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I mean, I, it, it's so ironic that this question comes right after we talk about it. But I mean, when you look at it, there's really no bad spots in this bullpen. Um, obviously, you could look at the Chase DeYoungs and be like, well, there's one right there. But um, when there's more good than bad and the, they're just surging right now, there's really nothing else you can say other than this Pirates bullpen is, like you said, at a solid A. Yeah, and I'm surprised. I'm looking at it right now. Um, Pirates actually have the 12th best bullpen, according to F War so far this season. I guess that would be that's before today's game on Sunday. They were in 12th. So top half of the league. I thought they'd be a little bit higher. But like I said, when considering expectations, uh, this bullpen has been great. And I guess they are probably a tad bit lower because the starting rotation has really eaten a lot of innings. You look at innings pitched for the bullpen this season. Before this Sunday game, the Pirates were in 26th. So solid job. And I I think we've talked about this before, but the best friend of a bullpen is preserving the bullpen. And the Pirates have done a really great job of doing that. Before Sunday's game, the Pirates were at 198 innings from their bullpen. That is the fifth fewest So you love to see that. All right. My first question to you. All-star voting has started here, and I wanted to ask you how many all-stars, and you can even name some if you'd like, do you think the Pirates will have for the Midsummer Classic? How many all-stars? I think a guaranteed two, but I think that could increase to three. Um, based on opt-outs or injuries. The two are that are locks, and I'm sure you would agree, David Bednar and Mitch Keller. Yep, First and foremost, absolute locks. Possible ones that could follow suit. I mean, if he stays consistent at the plate like he's been doing all year, possibly Kutch. I mean, there's there's him, um, maybe Hayes if he continues to heat up. See, like, that's the thing. There's... You don't want to bet on these players making the all-star team because, you know, they're kind of in a rough spot right now, some of these guys. But um, right now I can safely say that Mitch Keller and David Bednar are absolute locks. And if they don't make the all-star game, (laughs) there's something wrong. Because, I mean, Mitch Keller, whenever whenever he's in the talk of the top five uh, in several statistical categories across the league, and David Bednar, who has an ERA at 113 at this point, 13 saves – you can't overlook that. You got to go with just the facts that are presented in front of you. And know that these two are the some of the best pitchers in the game. They need to be at the All Star Game in July. Yeah, I agree. Bednar and Keller right now are absolute logs. I think Touch has a chance. He needs to maybe pick it up a little bit here. Get a few more home runs. He's at eight home runs now. If he can, if he's in the fourteen fifteen range by the all-star break and he has a WRC plus north of 120 like it is right now. It's at 122 right now. I think he has a chance. I think Brian Reynolds is always a hot streak away from putting himself into all-star contention. And his WRC plus is at 119. So he's been solid. Um I think those guys have a chance. Here's here's a tiny sidebar for you. If Jack Sawinski gets hot I don't know if he'd be an all-star per se, although his numbers overall look great, but you can kind of wonder in in what kind of clutch times those numbers were were given to us. But Swinski's at 11 home runs right now. If he hits another 
if he has a hot streak where he hits five in a week and he it's the all-star break and he's at around 20 or so, Jack Swinski for home run derby, perhaps, I'd, I'd be for that. Well, Swinski's got to understand if he does get nominated to the to the home run derby, he can't just watch pitches right down the middle like he seems to be doing in recent <laughs> at-bats. But possibly, like you said, a hot streak away. I think if he reaches 20 by the all-star break, he's a he's got to be a shoe in at least for the National League. I'll tell you this. If Jack Swinski were to be in the home run derby, he'd need a position player to throw him the BP. Somebody call Chris Owings. I heard he needs a job. Oh, geez. Not our guy, Chris Owings. <laughs> he was designated for assignment. And I don't want to I don't want to laugh at someone losing their job in the major leagues, but that was well overdue. Uh, Chris Owings, I'm sorry, he's not a major league player. And yeah, sidebar, the Pirates do once again have 13 pitchers and 13 hitters on the team. But uh, yeah, all right, your next question, please. All right, so um, while we're on the subject of the roster, we have a couple open spots on the minor, on the Major League roster, on the 40-man roster. Presumably another one will open up because I'm sure they won't keep, keep Chase DeYoung for a long time. And if they do, what are we doing? But um, I think... If we're taking in consideration DeYoung, there should be four 40-man roster spots open. Who do you think would take – obviously, Henry Davis would be one because he's not even on the 40-man yet. Um, who do you think would probably fill those final gaps on the 40-man in terms of potential prospects? Um, Davis for sure is one, and we should mention that he was called up to AAA today. So – I was going to get to that a little bit later with one of my questions, but Henry Davis, thank the the good Lord, is now in Indianapolis. So it shouldn't be too, too long before one of him or or both, Andy Rodriguez, are called to the majors. But I'll say Davis will be put on the 40-man here pretty soon. As far as the other spots, I mean, G-Man Choi should be returning from the IL here pretty soon the 60 day D or IL I almost said DL, but he should be called up at some point here pretty soon. So that'll be a spot. O'Neill Cruz. It's looking like August at this point. I'm a little surprised and uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but we'll, we'll get back to him in a little bit, but he he'll fill out a spot, but uh, perhaps Nick Gonzalez here at some point. I don't think he is. Is he on the 40 man I roster. don't think he is. He's not on the 40-man roster. Maybe I would say him and Davis and then the return of injured players. That should fill out the 40-man. Let me ask you just a little bit of a sub-question here. With that being said, Choi, Cruz, Gonzalez, and Davis are all four position players. What's the likelihood that Quinn Priester gets added at some point this season? I don't think the Pirates really need him at this point as a starter. I guess if things get a little shallow here, if, if someone gets hurt perhaps, but at this point I would expect Priester more as a September call-up unless things go wrong and knock on wood, one of these five starters gets injured here. That's a, that's a safe bet. I was thinking about that earlier today and you know, it, I want to see Priester in the bigs, but it, it, with the rotation, why fix something that's not really broken at this point in time? We already have four pretty much young studs that can give you a decent performance here and there. And then we have Rich Hill, who 
not only as a mentor, uh, a mental leader, but he's also a physical leader out there too. As we saw, he spent spun a gem today. Um, but I'm also thinking like, what about guys like Aaron Shackelford, who is still pretty well, doing pretty well in the triple yeah. a, if anything, if I'm the, if I'm Ben Charrington and I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't follow this, but if I was Ben Charrington, I'd give him a chance for Nick Gonzalez because Gonzo still has strikeout issues. Shackelford really doesn't. So, and that and Aaron can still play a couple of positions as well. So it's, it's pretty cool how we can assume some of these things, but yeah, you're right with Choi and Cruz. They do have to clear a couple spots for them. So uh, that's, that's funny. Funny note about Cruz. It was, I was just before he got down to that gate yesterday at his bobblehead day, handing out bobbleheads. I came through as one of the first people and I completely missed him. Oh. I was I was so upset. So that's, upset. But I got that the bobblehead. Is, that's uh, heartbreaking. That's you got the bobblehead though. That's a, a good looking bobblehead. It is. It really is. That is. All right. Is it my turn here on questions? Yes, it is. I believe it is. All right. My next question. So you look at it. Pirates of 31 and 27. They are five and two against Cincinnati, and they're now five and two against St. Louis. This weird, wacky schedule. The Pirates still have not played Milwaukee or the Cubs. I can't believe it, but they will. Let's see. Next, next week, not this upcoming week, the week after. So my question to you, fill in the blank. The Pirates are the blank best team in the National League Central right now. I would, huh. That's that's a tough question. I don't think right. they're the I don't think they're the best. Let's I'll get that out of the way now. I think the Brewers might have a slight upper hand. This would also help if we played them already. Um <laughs> but yeah, I didn't even realize that about the scheduling, but I would say we are second in the NL Central, second best team, but we're not you know, it's not by a landslide against the Cubs. Um but I, I would I would say we're in second. We're the second best team. I mean, we got a solid rotation at this point. Bullpen we've already discussed. Really, I think it's like if our if our lineup just gets a little bit more consistent at the plate, I think I, I, I would give us a little bit more distance between us and the Cubs in terms of second versus third place in the central. But all things considered right now, considering we were never expected to be this good, I, I would definitely say we're second best right now. Can't believe what I'm about to say because after the month of May, I mean, I was ready to just burn my fan card and just. I remember you quit and I... the Pirates. Yeah, we talked about it last week. You asked me if I wanted a podcast, and here's a little <laughs> behind the curtain to our listeners. I didn't want to. I was just disgusted, and it's a difference what a five game win streak can do, but. It's crazy. The perspective of a season, how things can change. <laughs> Going from 20 and 8 to 26 and 27 to now 31 and 27. It's just it's a long season. But I'll say this. The National League Central is just absolute utter garbage. It really is. You look at these other divisions. The National League in general, I would say is pretty bad. And I think I said that at the beginning of the season. You look at it, the Dodgers are great, the Braves are great. After that, it's kind of not that great. The Diamondbacks are 35 and 25. They're kind of the surprise team right now, but 
They're not that awesome. Every team in the National League Central kind of sucks, Pirates included. I'm sorry. It's true. Uh, the National League East, the Phillies have struggled. The Mets have struggled. The Marlins are in second place right now. That's crazy. The Padres are just 27 and 31. They were supposed to be awesome. They haven't been great. The National League is a mess right now. But as far as the National League Central goes, the Pirates might be the best team by default. They honestly might. The Brewers, they're in first place right now. They're 32 and 27, but their run differential is minus 19. Oh, Pirates wow. are in second place now, 31 and 27. They have the best run differential, plus 10, which isn't otherworldly, but it is respectable at this point into the season. And then the Reds, minus 35 run differential. They're in third place, 26 and 33. The Cubs have just fallen off a cliff here over the past few weeks. I remember they had a run differential of like plus 50 or something like that. They're at zero on the dot, 25 and 32. And the Cardinals are just an absolute mess. Their record is 25 and 35, although they do still have a plus three run differential. As far as the Devil Cardinal, Cardinals Devil Magic, you love to see a, a team with a plus run differential with their 10 games under 500. It's it's beautiful. But the National League Central sucks really bad. So I think the Pirates might, at this exact moment in time, they might be the best team by default. And there's a world where you look at it, we're a, we're a tad over the one-third mark here through the season. Pirates are, are on pace for about 86 wins. And 86 wins may very well win this division. I truly believe that. 84 wins could maybe win this division. Honestly, this division sucks so bad. 82 wins could possibly win this division. So, I don't know. I, I'm an emotional fan. The Pirates are on a win streak right now. I know what offense I saw in May. And it was absolutely... It was borderline torture to watch, but maybe the, maybe we're past this. You know, we mentioned Cabrian Hayes. He's hitting better. The team's kind of swinging up. Things maybe are stabilizing a little bit. Obviously, the Pirates aren't 20 and 8 good, but they're also not 6 and 18 or whatever it was bad. So I don't know. I'm saying they're the best team in the National League Central right now. Wow. And I'm sure that's a, that's a very agreeable take on multiple levels um wow i never would have heard <laughs> never thought i would have heard pirates and best team in the nl central in the same sentence but now that you put in that perspective and i do think back in the early season like in april we faced the dodgers and we swept them and you know they're one of the best teams in baseball right now um and, and just with the fall off of so many entities in the m in the nl right now like it, it's i don't know why but it like takes me back to the 2020 covid year when like it was a sprint to the finish race and anything was up for grabs. It's not like anybody was certain. And, you know, the, the, the NL title was kind of anybody's taking up for anybody's taking. So I see that right now. Um, and I do think 86 win pace is respectable for the pirates in so many levels for sure. But, uh, that's, it's attainable. And that's, I think that's the saddest part about baseball right now. I don't, I'm trying to be optimistic, but it is kind of sad that, hey, 82 wins could win you the division and put you in a good spot for the playoffs. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I mean, you look at the American League, it's so much better. The Boston Red Sox are in last place right now. They're 30 and 29. They're last in their division. 
It's just, it's wild. That's because the AL East is just, it's, it's every year it's a powerhouse. And it is, it is. The worst part about Boston, and I know we're not a Red Sox podcast, but I talk, I have a buddy who is a really diehard fan for Boston. And he tells me about every day about just the ineptitude of, 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 of upper management with Boston. And I'm like, please tell me about more about inept management. But He's, he he makes it seem like the Red Sox are in such a worse place, but they're still competitive. Um, hmm. And and I think historically the AL has just been stronger than the NL in previous years, previous decades probably. But yeah, the NL, I mean, it's anybody's game. And I think now the Pirates kind of realize that. And I think that's kind of what's feeding into them playing so well is like, hey, if everybody's going to play down, we'll play up and we'll, you know, we'll stick it with them. So yeah, it, it's possible. All right, what do you got for me next? Okay, so let's uh, look ahead to the regular to the post All Star break. Okay, so we're in July, late July, trade deadline looming, and I know we still don't know the fortune or the the, the future of Vince Velasquez. I don't know if he's going to return this year or not. Um, but okay, we're at the trade deadline, and Rich Hill is still somewhat decent. Do you keep him? Or do you sell him? Because he is kind of exceeding expectations at this point. Um, I don't think anybody thought he'd be as valuable as he is right now. Do you sell him or do you keep him? Because he is valuable to the Pirates, too, in the way that he can perform on the mound. And he also provides some mentorship to the younger Bucks. Yeah, I think that purely uh, that's dependent on whether or not the Pirates are kind of in the race here. And I, I mean, if things are how they are now, you absolutely absolutely keep him um like you mentioned he's been decent as a starting pitcher he hasn't been great but he's been he's been pretty decent he's on about a he's almost on a two war pace for the season which you would sign up for um every time so i would keep rich hill and i do think i think the clubhouse leadership I think honestly that might be the story of the season so far for the Pirates is clubhouse leadership from these players picked up on one year deals between Hill, between Kutch, between Carlos Santana. I think that has really been what has kept this team afloat and helped them get out to that that comfy 20 and 8 record and now that things have settled down a little bit and the Pirates came back down to earth I think these veterans are kind of helping steady the ship, pun intended, for the Pirates. And I would definitely keep Rich Hill around if the Pirates are winning. If they're, say, if it's the end of July and the Pirates are more than five games back from a playoff spot, then then I would probably explore some trades, depending on what kind of lottery ticket they could get. Okay. Uh, I hate, you know me, I hate talking about selling at the deadline because it seems like that's what we do every year to our veterans that we sign for a one-year deal. But I feel like this year poses a little different circumstance. Like you said, it depends on where we sit in terms of standing-wise, production-wise. It, it all depends on that. But, yeah, I could I could see it. If we're kind of out, out and about late July, not really a chance to make the playoffs. I mean, there's a, there's a slight possibility, maybe like an eyelash, but um, – I mean, if you can get anything for him, then by all means. But I, I think that leadership quality is what stands out to me the most because he's done a lot for this rotation in more ways than one, especially I think with Johan Oviedo the most. 
So, I mean, I, I think just getting rid of him would be, it'd be kind of terrible, but again, it's a business, you know, you can't let feelings get ahead of you. So never too early to start thinking about what's going to happen. <laughs> who are we going to sell? Oh, who, yeah. Who's <laughs> gonna come on a clearance rack. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. My next question for you. So, Tuka Marcano has just been absolutely great for the Pirates here over the past few weeks. And you look at his overall numbers, the WRC plus is 120. It was 120 heading into the Sunday game. It'll probably drop a little bit because Marcano went 0 for 4 in said Sunday game. But he has emerged as the Pirates' everyday shortstop leadoff hitter at times you could stick him maybe sixth in the order at times he's shown some pop the slugging at the moment right now is at 457 um he's just been a really solid hitter for the pirates so far so my question to you is one i guess it's kind of a two-parter how how much do you trust this uh recent hot streak from marcano and two when O'Neill Cruz comes back, which I kind of hinted at earlier, it's looking like the timeline is looking pretty solid where August seems like it's it's uh, possible. Where when that injury first happened, I just thought, yeah, he's out for the season. Um, there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But it's looking like O'Neill Cruz is on track and everything is gone according to plan. August looks possible. So if Cruz comes back in August, shortstop is obviously his spot. What do you do with Tukapita Marcano? And uh, I guess in general, what are your thoughts on him so far? Well, my thoughts on him, I'll start here. I'm really impressed with him. I think he's just trying to do with what, you know, go with what works. And that is contact hitting, getting on base any way he possibly can. And he's just doing a great job at it. Looking at his numbers between uh, I'm going to go last year. And then this year so far um, he's crushing off speed pitches. He's hitting almost 600 against them, uh, which is, which is just absolutely phenomenal to see um, not striking out too often. And that's a, that's a big thing for this pirates lineup. I mean, past couple of years, that's all we saw was just strikeout after strikeout, but it seems like he's putting more bat on ball and, uh, just looking a hell of a lot better. And just my opinion there. Um, and he's, he's shown a lot of uh, improvements since last year as well. Um, his whiff rate, it was 41% against off speed pitches last year. Now it's down to 13%. That's great. That's a, it's a huge step forward for him. And I mean, we've, his, he doesn't have the greatest arm in the league by any means, but he does cover a lot of range at short. He can play multiple positions um, he's the type of guy the Pirates could use. In a way, I see him as like a watered-down diet version of Josh Harrison in a way. I mean, huh. nobody can come close to what, Har- what Harrison did. But Tuka's kind of like that. He's a contact hitter mainly. He's got speed. He can play multiple positions, play him well to boot. Um, and he was somebody that – he's somebody that not really many people thought that he was going to do anything notable. Same thing with Harrison. I don't think anybody thought he was going to be one of the – spark plugs for the early 2010s pirates, but he was, um, I, I, am just impressed with how far he's, you know, how far he's come where he's at right now in terms of his sustainability after this hot streak. I don't, I'm not the biggest believer that it's going to stick around, but I mean, if he, anything can happen, 
Um, but I tend to think more pessimistically about that just to in, in, in the off chance that he doesn't keep that level of play, then the crushing blow isn't that hard. Um, in terms of what you do with him when Cruz is back, I would say maybe just like keep him as like a Swiss army knife player. If you know, you need somebody quick in the outfield one game, you put him in right, or you put him in left, depending on who you go up against. If you need somebody to play second here and there, he's got you maybe third base if he can, not entirely sure if he can, but, um, or even if Cruz needs like an off day or something, you put to compete at short, you know, one game here and there isn't too, too bad. I don't think they're going to send him back down to AAA. They just can't, um, especially if he keeps up the success that he's put up so far to this point, they they can find a use for him. And I, I'm sure I'm hundred percent certain that they will. Um, but obviously he's not going to be an everyday player once Cruz is back and we get the main cog of players back, but I'm impressed with him. I think he's serviceable and I think he will have a purpose with this team uh, down the road later this season and maybe in the com- coming years. Yeah, I think like the question here is when Cruz comes back, you kind of have to rank you. You kind of have to put these three players in a little basket and see who who you'd like to get the most pl- playing time. And that's Marcano, Rodolfo Castro and Jihan Bay. And I think right now that's how I would rank those three. I'd put Marcano first, Castro second and Bay third. But it's going to get interesting here with the position players on this roster Soon, whenever Choi and Cruz come back, that's two spots that two people will be gone. And you would assume that, like, if you're looking at the roster right now, it's probably Josh Palacios and it's probably Mark Mathias that gets sent down. But then also, if Henry Davis and Andy Rodriguez get called up, all right, well, you probably send down Jason DeLay as one of for one of those two catchers. But then after that, it's real decision time because maybe it's Babe. It's probably one of those three players between Bay, Marcano, and Castro because Santana and Kutch aren't going anywhere. Going anywhere. Connor Joe isn't going anywhere. Stawinski, Brian Reynolds obviously aren't going anywhere. So those are problems for a later date. But I've been really impressed with Marcano as of late. A lot of hard contact from a smaller guy. You always love to see that and. If I had to guess right now what it what it would look like when Cruz come back comes back, Marcano in my mind would be getting a majority of those second base reps. So we'll see. All right, Jake, what do you have for me next? My penultimate question for you: uh, Key Brian Hayes showed a lot of promise in this in the past couple of games. Back to back days of three hit performances came in clutch on Friday when he had. Uh, that monstrous three-run homer to push the Pirates ahead. Um, what do you really attribute this to? Is it him just going back to his roots? I mean, we saw him when he came up through the minor leagues. He wasn't a power hitter by any means. He kind of just used sound mechanics and went with any pitch that he saw. Or do you think that this is him starting to finally piece together his power side to him that he's been trying to sort of dig up throughout the first couple of months here? Well, first off, I hope this is sustainable because – it really has been only a few games since Hayes has just been absolutely white hot, but I hope I think it's sustainable because although it's kind of hard to believe Hayes has been making hard contact all season long, and he has been one of the more unlucky hitters in baseball all season long when looking at 
stats like expected batting average and expected slugging percentage compared to his actual batting average and actual slugging percentage. So I think it's sustainable as far as uh, tweaks. I mean, two of those home runs he pulled the or both home runs in the Cardinals series. He pulled he out. He also pulled that home run against Seattle uh, about 10 days ago. So just pull the ball. I mean, he has he has the swing. He has the power. Uh, he has the ability to make hard, loud contact. It's always been there. And the thing that has always been the problem with him is the swing plane, the ground balls, the, you know, he, he just would not pull the ball. So I think... Perhaps he he he's finally figured it out. I'm not sure. I don't want to say that, but give me a few more weeks of this. If he's this hot, I mean, he raised his all his stats tremendously in this past series. And you look at it now, his slash line still isn't good. 242, batting average 290 on base, 395 slugging. But the thing that jumps out to me is for the first time in a while, Cabrian Hayes might finally be able to get over that 400 slugging threat threshold which i haven't seen that in it seems like since he was a rookie in 2020 but i mean we've always said it if hayes could just hit a little bit if he could just be an average hitter he's an all-star caliber player because he is the best third baseman i've ever seen in my life and i don't care that's just how i feel but uh the the contact's always been there, or the contact quality has always been there. He's always been able to hit the ball hard. So maybe he's found that tweak. I'm not sure. We'll have to see. But just pulling the ball is key, I think. I've always joked that uh, Brian Hayes needs to get with someone like Jose Batista, who was on the Pirates and struggled. Then he went to the Toronto Blue Jays and just started pulling absolutely everything and hit 50 home runs. So... Brian Hayes could just pull the ball, swing for the fences, whatever. I think he'll be solid, but I think this has just been super encouraging to see. And I'm hoping, I'm praying that uh, Hayes has found himself. Because if you want to talk about keys to the Pirates season, this season and beyond, I think it's Brian Hayes because he already got the extension. He's going to be here forever. If he can hit like he has the potential to if he could be not even like a middle of the order bat, but if he could be like a guy that is an above average hitter, that will just provide such a boost to this pirates offense because when he's a black hole, there's already too many black holes in this lineup. He can't be one of them. So if he just hits a little bit, we're fine. And I think I'm hoping, I think this could be sustainable. That's a fair assumption. And I'm on the, I'm on the, premise of that too and i kind of we talk about him sort of pairing up with some of these older major leaguers like you said jose bautista this past offseason we saw him with prince fielder who was just an absolute monster at the plate um i think if he just can continue building off of it what's funny is i think it was friday so i had a weird friday i had to go to bed at like six o'clock because i had to get up at three o'clock for work the next day and i tweeted right before i went to bed i said I wish Key Brian Hayes would just go back to his roots and just start being a contact hitter again. Mm-hmm. Then after that, 
I wake up and I see he had a three run jack. The next day he goes three for three with, and he's just like racking up the extra base hits. I'm like, God, what, what did he do? Like, why is he all of a sudden starting to get powerful at the plate? Why is he now starting to put together? But I think, I think it's just all that work paying off. And I think it is sustainable that, you know, he just kind of goes back to that. The, the thing is like, he's, he's a unique player because normally players have to really focus on sharpening their defensive and offensive skills separately. But Key's already there defensively, so now he can just put a major emphasis on his hitting, and I think that's just what he's doing. Um, if he can continue it, and I mean, he's still young, and I don't think we can push that enough. He's still young, so if he just keeps working at it, I mean, he could be a really valuable hitter whenever he's entering the prime of his career. Because I, I don't know about you, but I don't think he's at that point yet. I think no. good things are still to come. So For I sure. think he's putting it together, and I, I, it's all about that consistency and if it's you know if he can just sustain that. For sure. I agree. All right. My next question here. I just mentioned a little earlier ago that Henry Davis was called up to triple a from double a. So my question to you is, is it Andy Rodriguez time? And when he is inevitably called up, how, what's his role with the team? Is he immediately the starting catcher? Does he start at catcher for a few nights a week and maybe bounce around as kind of a utility guy a few nights a week? <laughs> Does he sit and rot behind Austin Hedges? <laughs> I hope it's not that. But uh, when do you think Andy Rodriguez is going to be called up? And when he is called up, what are your expectations for him? My expectations, I'll get this one out of the way. If he sits behind Austin Hedges and rots, I'm going to be so upset because <laughs> that's just not what he's meant to do. Um I do think he's going to be a primary catcher. Um, I think him and Hank will switch on and off. I, I can't really say if one is going to be like catcher A and the other is going to be catcher B. Um, I I don't really know. I mean, I feel like his primary role is going to be catcher, but if if they need him to play somewhere else, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're not saying, hey, look, you're going to be a catcher and only a catcher. If we need you at second, we're going to put you at second. And I think he's going to respond well to that. Um in terms of his timeline of when he's going to be called up, I have a weird theory, and I kind of and I saw it on Twitter first. I, I forget exactly who said it first, but I don't think he's going to be called up this week. I, I really don't. I think what they're going to do is I think they're just going to sort of get Andy and Henry sort of used to each other at catching a triple A. I think they're going to try to find like a little bit of a strategy about how they work well and how they mesh, and they're going to report Charrington saying, "Hey, look." Henry's a better receiver. Andy is a better, well, let's say he's got better pop time. Or maybe they see more Andy around the infield with catching as a secondary, which I don't know how that would even come about. But here we're talking about two really good catchers here. So they're in a weird scenario. Um, Henry does have some experience in the outfield. So that kind of helps. It kind of evens the playing field a little bit for both of them because they're not pigeonholed to just behind the plate. Um, but I think what what they're going to do in AAA is get them used to each other. And then they're just going to maybe like push them together to the MLB. Now that they have that experience of working together behind the plate, sort of developing a repetition between the two and sort of working off each other. Cause then it, it, it I, I kind of sympathize with people who think Andy's going to be up next. Like he'll move up to the MLB on Monday against the A's. I get that. And I get the want to have him there. But then you got to think when Henry comes up, now they face this big 
uh, I guess, calculus problem about how they're going to work out uh, Henry and Andy both together. So I think they're just going to maybe take this as like a trial run in AAA. Uh, no doubt in my mind they're going to be up by the end of June, but I think over the next couple of weeks they're just going to see who fits where, you know, how the round round objects fit in the square pegs, you know, just what what they can do with each other. You know, say say they catch Henry one day. Where are they going to put Andy in the field if they do that? Is one going to DH when the other's catching? Just something like that. They're going to feel they're going to test the waters for him. If they do move Andy up in front of him, that would be surprising. But I think when you have two really good talents like Henry and Andy, you can't rush them. You need to see how they work well together. Comparison here. I don't know, Nate, if you've ever bought it, like adopted a dog from a shelter while you've already had a dog or any kind of animal. I, I don't know if you have. I've not. Well, I'll, I'll inject some personal experience here. We had a dog a couple years ago, went to a shelter, adopted two more. You know, that before we take the other two home, which taking the other two home is like pushing Andy to the, to the major leagues, we had to bring our other dog down to get them accustomed, accustomed to each other. When we saw they worked, then we brought them all home. So that's kind of like how I see it with Henry and Andy, and I can't wait to see the outrage of saying, oh, he compared them to dogs. Like, no, it's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the atmospheric change that I think yeah. trying to check the test out here. So that's how I see it. Just going back to quick point about Andy's uh, flexibility around the infield. What are they going to do? I think it all depends on how they work out in AAA. Yeah. I think that's a good point that the pirates do have, I'd say it's a good problem to have, but with these two catchers kind of mixing and matching the playing time, that will be a challenge and maybe it'll work itself out where one of them does kind of emerge as the primary catcher and the other one kind of more or less has a position change, but it'll be interesting to see. I definitely do think that they'll let both marinate and triple a for a little while. If I had to guess right now, just blindly when I think Andy Rodriguez will be called up for some reason, Monday, June 19th kind of feels right to me. It'll be a home game against the Cubs very quick, weird home uh, home stand. It'll only be three games against the Cubs, but I, I feel like that feels right. But, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see starting tomorrow pretty much what the playing time looks like or, yeah, what the what the playing looks like between Rodriguez and Davis at catcher. Uh, will they both be in the lineup? Will we see Davis in right field when Andy catches? And will we see maybe Andy at first base or second base when Davis catches? Who catches more? How does it affect the pitchers? It'll be really interesting because catcher is it's it's a very particular position, and they they both have to be working with the pitchers. Uh, we'll see what that chemistry looks like. It's it's going to be a very I'm going to say difficult, but interesting balancing act to see how this all works out. And that's why, I mean, say what you want about Austin Hedges at the major league level. I, I've i always thought that he would be the perfect third catcher on this roster when both of those guys are called up because I feel like he, he injects some good energy. He can kind of uh, mentor both of them at the same time while playing less, while 
still working with pitchers, teaching them both to work with pitchers. I think that'll create a nice little atmosphere between those three, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like you said, I don't expect Andy to be called up right away just because Davis was called up to triple a. I think that's a really good point that the meshing of having both of them at the same level for a little bit of time will be, will be key to see, to seeing what happens uh, from here on out. All right, Jake, what do you have for me next? This is your last question. And then I also have one more question. Okay. So my final question deals with the MLB draft coming up uh, during all-star week. A lot of mock drafts coming out as we approach the final weeks before the draft, clearly fans, bloggers like us perfectly fine. If Dylan Cruz gets picked number one, the star out of LSU, but some say that we're going to pick his batter or his teammate, Paul Skeens, a pitcher. Some people say we're going to pick Wyatt Langford out of Florida. Some morons think that we're going to pick Max Clark <laughs> out of Franklin, out of a high school in Indiana. I say morons because Max Clark is projected to go fifth. Then again, I think Henry Davis was as well, but I got to ask, who do you think Ben Charrington is going to write down on the slip of paper, call up, say, hey, hey, kid, you're going to be a Pittsburgh Pirate. I hope you're ready. And I hope that that calls to Dylan Cruz. But who do you think it's going to be? It has to be Dylan Cruz. And let's not overthink this. Um, It's always been Cruz. I understand there's there's draft fatigue about a number one pick being the number one pick for a super long period of time. It's boring to put out a mock draft every week and just have the same thing every week, but it's gotta be Dylan Cruz. Um, it just does. I, I don't want drafting a pitcher first overall is you're just, it's too much of a risk in my opinion. Um, you know, you get Tommy John, it's not a slam dunk. The Pirates have missed on so many pitchers at number one in the past. Although Garrett Cole did work out, I'll say that. Jameis Tyon, I mean, he was picked to pick before Manny Machado. I'm just one I'm one of those people that believe my philosophy is you have to take the position player over the pitcher in the MLB draft because yes, pitching is hard to come by in general. But I think, I think Cruz, I think he is going to be awesome for sure. But I think when it comes to like gathering pitching, you need a volume of pitching to gather multiple pitchers where putting all of your eggs in one basket at one, one on a pitcher. I just think that's too much of a risk. I wouldn't even be mad if the pirates took Cruz first over. Uh, first overall, and then took pitchers the rest of the way. That would not be a problem for me. But at 1-1, you go with Cruz, and that's that. And if you don't go with Cruz, maybe you go with Jack Wilson's son, who is also a projected first-round pick. That is Jacob Wilson. He is a high school shortstop. Can you believe it? And uh, he's projected to go 15th. But no, don't take Jacob Wilson. Take Dylan Cruz. It's always been Cruz. It has to be Cruz. He's just a monster. And you stick him in center field right away. Well, maybe not right away. But I think he's a guy that this probably would never happen. But next June, Dylan Cruz, major leagues, I would love to see it. Have him in center field 
Brian Reynolds in left field. Maybe it's Sawinski in right field. That is great for me, but it's got to be Dylan Cruz. I <clears throat> excuse me. I concur. It's got to be Dylan Cruz. A little bit of a different reason, though. I've learned over the past couple of years. Now, I have never been, I've never been adept with the MLB draft because I'm, I'm always of <clears throat> who's going to help in the long run. But I've learned that you got to take the best player available, and that's just blatantly Dylan Cruz. I, I mean, flat out. And slashing 420, 567-710 uh, after even slumping in May. That's the biggest thing. He's slumped, but even his slump was pretty damn good. And we're not trying to be here trying to get people to think about the possibility of Pirates really selling out in the draft and picking somebody under slot. But no. <laughs> but uh I mean it's just gotta be Cruz. Uh you could make a case maybe for Langford. I'll give them that maybe. Skeens, there's there's some people that out there that think that that's probably a smart move, but I, I just think the risk of injury is just it, it's way too high. And the fact that very rarely do pitchers work out one one. I mean, it did with Garrett Cole, but that's because Garrett Cole's an incredible pitcher. Um you got to go Dylan Cruz. If the Pirates screw this up and they go with either Walker Jenkins, who's projected to go fourth to Texas. They can't. Or if they go Max Clark, I would start questioning everything because they're not trying to draft the best overall player. And there's speculation out on the Twitter verse of like, are Dylan Cruz's stats in like inflated because of, different situations like he's playing college ball there's not that you know talent differs he's using aluminum bats compared to wood and like there there's really nitpicky reasons why people are questioning what dylan cruz is doing but i see nothing out there right now that tells me dylan cruz is not the best player in this draft class they need to go with him i i kind of figured that's what you were going to say and that would that's the smartest option for pittsburgh because then if he does just absolutely tear up the minors we could possibly see him next year. I think the safest bet would be 2025, but yeah, we could possibly see him next year. I think that would be just fantastic. Who knows? But I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I feel like we don't talk about the draft enough. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but, um, well, it's coming up. So, and I mean, a lot of people are differentiating who the pirates would go with. Do I think, I mean, I kind of think maybe schemes would be an okay pick, but when you're at one one, you gotta go with a perfect pick, and that is exactly what Dylan Cruz is. So Yeah, and I'm not one to you know, I don't think drafting to fit your timeline is necessarily smart, but I think it's just an added bonus that Dylan Cruz fits this timeline for the Pirates window, if you will, because I would like to think that the window will be open next season. And I'm still, I mean it's June 4th and the pirates are a half game out of first place. Why can't the window open now? But uh, if Cruz is up in a year and a half after being drafted, that fits right in with this window and the pirates could just be really cooking by that point. And I just, I think, I think he is the, let's not get draft fatigue. He's the guy. He has always been the guy. If it's not him, I would say Wyatt Lankford, but uh, no, it's got to be Cruz. It just does. Uh, right-handed bat. Pirates could use some right-handed power maybe to slot in between the lefties that are 
O'Neill Cruz and I guess switch hitter Brian Reynolds, but the Cruz Cruz combo, you can't get better than that. The double cruise missiles, come on. It's it's just it's too perfect. It would send Greg Brown to the hospital because he wouldn't know what to do with his mental state after that. Right. All right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My last question, and this I feel like this is a good uh, cherry on top to this podcast. 2023 has been the year of the vibes, in my opinion. The vibes, and it's been a roller coaster of vibes. The vibes started sky high when the Pirates started the season super hot. The vibes got to rock bottom in May. But my question to you is, where are Pirates vibes right now? Are they good? Are they average? Are they still bad? Are you still a little... Do you still have a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth after May? Uh, do you still remember the great, great times of April? Where are you at right now with the Pirates vibes? I think they're great despite the... Great! Yeah, I think they're great despite the month of May. I mean, you, we're in. We're just a couple days into June. Connor Joe did a post-game interview the, the other day saying he loves playing here. Yeah. And keep on days, you know, he hasn't had a great season up to this point, but yet every time he talks, he just speaks highly of of the club itself. Koch obviously has been a great spark plug in morale for this club, this team, along with Carlos Santana. There's just so many, I guess, key contributors that keep the morale and vibes up in this clubhouse that if they weren't, if they weren't great, the pirates wouldn't come out in the month of May or month of June and win five straight. They just wouldn't, they would continue to slog after the month of May. They would just keep it in their heads and they aren't doing that. They, if anything, they kind of just they washed it away. Saw the calendar flip physically and say, "Hey, this is a new month. You know, we're just you know just going to stay confident and do our thing. We know we're good, and that's exactly what they're doing." So, and like I said, it was it would just be easy for them to just fall back to where they were in the month of May if vibes weren't great. So, the, with the leadership they have, I mean, Derek Shelton being a man, a player's manager, he keeps the vibes high a little Ugh. bit. Uh, you let out a grunt about Derek Shelton. Yeah, I, I'm still, I still have a slight bad taste in my mouth with the management of this team. I do. I love the players. I do. I love. Well, I love most of the players. The bottom of this roster for the longest time just made me want to pull my hair out. But Chris Owings is gone. Uh, Marky Math is back, which I'm actually kind of happy to have Marky Math back instead of Chris Owings and that's Mark Mathias for first time listeners. But uh, I don't know. I guess Josh Palacios has been decent. He's been pretty solid. So he's, that's okay. The bottom of this roster isn't quite as God awful as it has been, but uh, my, my vibes check, I would say they're good right now. They are good. I guess we 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 do this exercise and i've said this a bunch of times but if you were to ask me before the season if on june 4th the pirates were 31 and 27 and a half game back in first place would i be happy yes i would be really happy uh i would be ecstatic but there's just a small part of me that has a slight bad taste in my mouth after going 20 and eight and just completely burning that start up in flames and falling beneath 500. But this five game winning streak has really saved that. I will say 
And you look at it, the overall picture, 86 game win, win game pace. So, uh, the vibes are good. Let me ask you this real quick. Can you do, this is on, this is, this is from the top of your head. You don't have to. I can if you want, but give me a uh, top five vibes power ranking of p- players on the Pirates at this moment, if you can. All right. We'll go from five up with five being, you know, not great. One being the best. We'll say that. Well, no, no. I'm, I'm saying rank the top five players on this team in terms of vibes. Okay. Um, so one still being like the best vibes on the team. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess number five, this is going to be rough five. I'm going to say Bednar only because okay. he brings that Yinzer angst to it. And I think that kind of helps a little bit. Um, number four, I think in a way, Carlos Santana, cause he seems to vibe well with the younger players. Yeah. Number three, this is going to be an oddball, but I'm going to say O'Neill Cruz. He's not in, he's not on the field, but he is in the clubhouse. He has interactions with players. He has a big smile on his face. So I think that carries over a little bit. I love that. Number two. Hmm. This is a little rough. Now that we're getting high. I already know who my number one is, and I'm sure you do too. But number yeah. two. Number two, number two, number two. I'm gonna say, oh my God. I'll go with um Okay, this is harder than I thought. I guess I'll go Mitch Keller, because he's he kind of seems like that guy where he would get too caught up in his emotions. But now that he's kind of he sees the pirates are in a good spot, he's doing pretty well too. I think he were I think they're starting to see like a different side of him where he's actually like much more outspoken kind of guy. Number one, clearly Andrew McCutcheon. Yep. I mean, the dude is the the definition of swagger, of vibes, of pretty much anything that keeps guys happy. I mean, he resurrected the Zoltan for God's sake. How how much more do I need to say? <laughs> so honestly. That's my five with Kutch being number one. Yeah, Kutch is number one for me as well. He is the captain of the Pittsburgh vibes. The Pittsburgh Vibrates. I'm sorry, but he's number one for sure. Number two, I agree. I think it's Mitch Keller. To have a guy at the top of your rotation that just puts an ease at everyone, gives an ease to everyone, you know that he's giving you six. And Mitch Keller, honestly, over his past few starts, hasn't been all that sharp. He's actually given up quite a few runs. I think he's given up 10 runs in his past two starts, but he's still gone at least six every time. He's still striking out hitters galore. We'll see him against the A's this week, but uh, he's number two for me. He's awesome. Number three, I'll give you Connor Joe. Uh, I think, I think Joe has been a, a great boost to this team and pretty unexpected. You know, the pirates brought Joe here and, he just kind of seemed like, eh, all right, he'll be a whatever bench bat. We'll see if he can get back to his 2021 form because in 2022, he was not that great. But uh, he, he's he been really solid. Four, I'll go Santana. I agree. The veteran leadership has been really great. And five, Bednar is a good, is a good pick, but uh, I'll go with Rich Hill. Because I just think Rich Hill, he mixes up the chemistry of this clubhouse, I think, with some quirky vibes, some quirky old man vibes. And I just think, I think when players see someone that can, ma- that maxes out at like 88, 89, just carve up a lineup, that just, 
it, it, it really gets everyone in a good mood to see someone just carve up with the curveball, with the arm angles. He's just quirky. He's different. He's fun to watch pitch. And I think a lot of these younger pitchers look up to him. So Rich Hill rounds out my uh, vibes, power rankings, player power rankings. So, all right, Jake, I think that is a good place to uh, sign off here. Just real quick, real, real quick, looking at the schedule, the Pirates host the A's, who are awful. The A's are 12 and 49. Oh, my God. I'm not saying the Pirates need to sweep this series, but if they don't win two out of three, knock on wood, that would be a disaster in my mind. But they host the A's for three, and then they host the Mets for three. The Mets, who have been just the just nothing but average. They're 30 and 30 on the season. And then after that, the Pirates go on the road to play the Cubs for the first time and then the Brewers for the first time. That uh, that gets us to June 18th. And then they come back home, play the Cubs for three, go on the road, play Miami for four. And that's pretty much it for June. But uh, three against the A's. Yoan Oviedo gets the start today when you're listening to this. He will be opposing J.P. Sears. I'm sorry, but I've just never heard of any of these A's pitchers. Sears is 0-3, 437 ERA. On Tuesday, it's Mitch Day. He gets the start. He gets to go against someone named James Capriel. Caprellin, I think is how you say it. Cap Capriellen? Caprellian, Capriel, Mid. I don't know. I don't know. How Mid, James Mid. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. But he's 0-6 with an 8-12 ERA. So that's all you need to know about that. The Pirates, I mean, Mitch Day. Uh, baseball is weird, but that's about as in the bag as it can get. Knock on wood. I'm going to get just slaughtered for saying that. But uh, Wednesday, the getaway game, even though the Pirates are on a homestand. Uh, it's Rowanzi Contreras day, and he will be opposing Hogan Harris, who has three appearances this season so far. Ten innings pitched. He's given up eight runs. So that's a 697 ERA. So the Pirates haven't been hitting great all season since April, but against these this ace pitching, they should be able to stack some runs up. Uh, this ace pitching is just terrible. I mean, they're 12 and 49 and their hitting isn't awful. Awful. They can actually score some runs at times. Brent Rooker has 11 home runs. He's kind of their best player, but uh, yeah, their pitching is so, so bad. Hopefully I don't, I'm not, I'm not one to uh, call for a sweep, but the pirates are on a five game winning streak at the moment. Vibes are high. The A's are terrible. A sweep would be nice. I'm going to say this. I think uh, anything less than a sweep would be a letdown by the Pirates. I mean, this is, they're kind of looking into the rearview mirror at themselves from the past couple of years. And I'm sure that some of the guys who are carried over, like Castro, they're like looking at this team like, geez, I remember playing on this team. And, you know, I know they're in a bad place, but I'd love nothing more than to get retribution. So I, I do think the Pirates are going to sweep. If they don't, then it's going to be a failure of a series, in my opinion. Um, the, the five game win streak and the high vibes definitely help out. Um, I'm, I will make a couple of, uh, bold predictions, I guess, for the upcoming series. 
Um, take it as you will. I'll start with an easy one. I will think that we're going to see some guys get their get their shot at a home run on uh, throughout the next couple of days. I'm not entirely sure who, but one sticks out to me. And that's Austin Hedges. Oh, I, mean, I know. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a Hedges fan by any means, but <laughs> you're going up against some pretty mid pitching. If that, I mean, I think mid is kind of a compliment to the A's, but. Uh, when you go up against these type of guys, this is your chance to cash in on some pretty big numbers and inflate your stats a little bit. So there's one thing. I think another guy who could possibly get one is Mark Mathias if he plays in the finale on Wednesday. Um, okay. I'm just – those are a couple here. My biggest hot take, and this is where I could probably get into some trouble, but I'm going to make it anyway. Mitch Day Tuesday, he goes up against Caprellian. I think his offense will give him a strong enough start. I think Mitch throws a no-no on Tuesday. Oh, my God. Here we go. Okay. I know their offense is okay. They can put up some hits. Man, Mitch Keller has just looked on another level. He's going up against the worst team in baseball. You want to make some history, do it now. And I think they're going to put hedges behind the plate because he. Can, I think him and Mitch vibe together. And I'm, I'm going to say it. People are going to hate it. I don't care. Mitch throws a no-no on Tuesday. Uh, I like your home run predictions because two of these three ace pitchers are left-handed. So Matthias will probably get at least one start and Hedges will definitely get a few starts in here. The no-no. I mean, you heard it here first. Mitch Keller no-no Tuesday night. I don't hate it. I mean, we'll see. I think a shutout is definitely in play. I'd be happy with seven innings of one or two run ball with the Pirates scoring a whole bunch of runs, but why not? Why not? A Mitch Keller no-no on Tuesday. All right, Jake, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on here before we get out of here? Um, Not really. I mean, it's just good to finally talk about some winning Buccos baseball again. It really uh, is. Really good promotions coming up this coming Saturday against the Mets. There is another bobblehead day, Key Brian Hayes. You might see yours truly there. So Nice. Get out there. Um Hopefully, Pirates get home and string together a couple more wins and may fill that ballpark. I think if they can sweep the A's, make a good impression against the Mets, I have a funny feeling Saturday could be close to a sellout. So, oh, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see, though. But that's all I got. It's just good to talk winning baseball again. It really is. All right, Jake, where can we find you on Twitter? Follow me at underscore Radio Jake on Twitter. Awesome. And you can follow me, Nathan Hirsch, at Nathan underscore Hirsch. And, of course, follow Talk the Plank on Twitter at Talk the Plank Pod. We'll have some Morning Bucket Joes coming at you this week, probably some more podcasts. We'll have Haley's Minor League Madness, and uh, hopefully we'll see some more wins because winning is more fun than losing. Jake, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to all our listeners. And uh, peace out.